Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics right here on Blog Talk Radio. Historical and present. 
Wow, that is a noble uh, pursuit uh, indeed. And what was it exactly that got you involved in the truth movement? Well, um, well, for a long time, we we have both, I mean, since we were teething, we've sort of been leftist. Uh, but the truth movement goes on a different path. And it, it happened kind of funny. Um, in 2010, 11, 2011, I, um, we were both uh, in Turkey together, and uh, cli- I was climbing up an embankment, and I fell, and um, mm. I broke both feet, which meant that I was immobilized. For, yeah, very much so, especially since I was like a half-marathon runner. Um, in any event, I was immobilized for several months couldn't walk. And I had all the time in the world. You see, that's one of the things about the truth movement is that it's, you need time really to uh, excavate these topics on your own. I mean, uh, Hercules, can you hear me now? We can hear you now. Welcome, Nick. Oh, man. You know, I just bought a brand new telephone and I thought that the, uh, the uh, sensitivity of that would be even better. <laughs> it's just the opposite. So, so sorry for that. Oh, no, it's okay. Uh, we didn't know what was going on, so I just started. I, I met uh, Kat and Colleen, and uh, uh, they talked about uh, what inspired them to uh, um, get involved with the truth movement and uh, all the different things within the truth movement that uh, they're interested uh, in. And uh, that's where we were when you came in. So uh, um, I will now step back uh, into the invisible and be the engineer, and I will let you guys uh, proceed with the program. Um, Ken and Colleen, it was wonderful talking to you, and I'll, I'll be here listening. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Great. Okay. okay. Well, guys, again, sorry for that uh, horrible little technical flabu, but it's better now. And you can hear me, right? You can hear me well? Totally. Yes, 100%. Okay. Well, let me, um, I start the program with a little bit about what the uh, Disclosure Network New York is. So uh, let me just go through that script. I go through that at the beginning of my of my, uh, my show. So let me, let me go through with that, and then we'll get right back to where you were, okay? Sure. All right. Uh, DNNY is a grassroots organization now celebrating our 18th year of providing two meetings a month throughout the year in Manhattan. We focus on cutting-edge UFO, ET issues, paranormal phenomenon, as well as many important related subjects that go deep into the exciting and sometimes misunderstood subjects that the mainstream press will not disclose. Our members do intense investigative research into these various topics and share that information with the group at our meetings as well as with our Internet followers. Our motto right from day one is, quote, connecting the dots to seek truth, unquote. We have available to everyone worldwide a DNNY News Blast email service focusing on the topics of special interest, and that service is totally free. Just visit our website, which is dnny.info, and type in your email address where it's asked for. You will then be connected directly with us. Hundreds of people have signed on to this service already with more joining every day. Again, we offer this service as totally free. Um, And, of course, you already know that our our guests 
featured guest on this podcast tonight are Kat McGuire and her twin sister, Colleen McGuire. And again, welcome, welcome. I'm sorry I couldn't get there at the beginning. Now, did you want to, uh, were you finished with what you were saying, or would you like to continue on that first? Um, No, we were pretty much finished how we got into the truth movement, and it's just exploded and beyond, and so now we're questioning everything. And so we might as well get to it about identity politics, um, where that has uh, taken us as we're questioning everything. Is identity politics from the Frank, for those who don't know what the Frankfurt School is, um, it was originally in Germany and mostly comprised of uh, Jewish men who came over to the United States to escape Nazis, the the Nazi government, and uh, brought their politics here to the U.S. People like Herbert Marcuse, Adorno, um, Max Horkheimer, um, many well-known um, social theorists, and um, they—they are sort of—they are the backbone of identity politics. What is filtered down today, and my sister and I were very much in favor of a lot of what was being said about um, um, oppressed peoples um, and how the about ruling class and how to use uh, culture. It's basically cultural Marxism to overthrow the system since it was appearing that the working class wasn't throwing, uniting workers of the world unite and overthrow the world. Frankfurt School was about using cultural Marxism, um, um, art, um, uh, politics, to get people to uh, rise up. Um, at one point, um, Herbert Marcuse's wife, Ricky, um, came to our home, and we had a workshop um, on anti-racism. So we were deeply in favor of Frankfurt School politics for a long time, and in many ways still are. But what has happened is what I call Mao's cultural revolution light. In other words, um, during the cultural revolution in China, you see 16-year-olds um, forcing um, capitalists, calling them the running dogs of capitalism, going through a gauntlet as they beat them. Well, now in our schools, which is where the more, um, I guess you'd call it neo-Frankfurt school politics are being taught, basically identity politics, um, the young are uh, learning extreme versions. It's almost like weaponized identity politics. And um, it, it's all out of whack now. Um, I, I will stop for a moment so that you can ask any questions if you want, but the next thing we'd like to cover is just some very current examples in the news today. Uh, Jussie Smollett, the Covington kids, and um, transphobia. So those are examples that we'd like to discuss, but I'll stop for you, Nick, if you want to say anything. I would really rather have you continue because this is, first of all, enlightening, and there's a lot to cover here, so please go ahead. Okay. Um, um, First of all, we'll look at um, Jussie Smollett, who um, is a uh, prime example of hate hoaxes. We hear all about hate speech, but we don't hear about the many, many hate hoaxes that are there or the consequences um, that are a result. Um, For starters, um, 
the hate hoaxes very rarely um, get uh, talked about, um, especially um, we see many of them around um, uh, um, anti-Semitism. That, um, for example, um, it was um, there were there were a lot of call-ins that um, threats against um, synagogues and cemetery tombstones were being turned over, and that ended up being um, a uh, an Israeli kid um, who was eventually arrested by the FBI, calling from Israel, making um, dozens of calls. But there was never any follow-up in the news. We hear all about the, the so-called hate, but when it turns out to be a hoax, there's no follow-up. For Smollett, um, the consequences were that the media showed no responsibility or remorse. Here they can trumpet left and right, uh, look at the hate crime against him, and then when it's found bad, instead of saying, oops, we're sorry, we erred, maybe we're overdoing this, Instead, they showed no remorse or responsibility. It became an issue of Smollett being just a bad apple and that he undermined true um, um, racism that is happening. And it's true that he did undermine that. That is unfortunate because um, people of color are being murdered every day. And yet the mainstream media is um, focuses on this guy. But also um, a thing to uh, bear in, into account is um, how this, um, this Smollett may have also been used. I don't know if people have looked into this, but if you recall, there was um, an anti-lynching bill put forth by Cory Booker and um, Kamala Harris. Well, since when have we ever lately needed really an anti-lynching bill. I don't remember any lynchings. And this whole Smollett bill was around lynching. So part of me feels that um, Harris and Booker may have looked at the template for it, how to do these kind of false flag, fake news, hate speech, and said, we're going to get one, too. We, we want one to promote ourselves as presidential candidates. And they searched around. They didn't have uh, their own kind of BDS law to promote. So instead, um, they plucked their own around lynching, which is uh, not even an issue, really. And um, we're going well, to one thing that we should clarify here is that the, in March of 2017 is when um, those hate hoaxes were being done uh, by this Israeli teen. And the media was just all over it saying it was anti-Semitism. And a, 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 something directly happened from that. Amazon took down over 100 books that um, dealt with World War II, let's say. And they have never been put back up. Amazon has never put them back up, even though um, it's proven that they were hoaxes. And so maybe that there's a, a template there that uh, uh, black people saw that, uh, hey, uh, let's, let's make a hoax and then piggyback on that and get what we want from it, which is this anti-lynching law. Not black people, but black leaders, let's say. The, the corporate black leadership. Corporate, thank you. And, um, and then 
some personalized um, gain from it for two presidential candidates. So that's just some of the things that we saw from that hate hoax with Jesse Smollett. Moving on to the Covington kids, that was, as everyone knows, um, Nathan Phillips, the Native American, who was supposedly in the face of the, the students from Covington, Kentucky, and one of the students was supposedly smirking. I wonder, you know, when you go on vacation, you have to take 100 photographs before you can get the two or three you really want to show everyone. How many photographs were probably taken of uh, that Sandman kid to get the most damning thing they could find, which was a quasi-smirk, and that um, was all over. But um, there are so many cases of real hate, and why they plucked this, um, to me, seems to have to do with um, an issue of toxic white masculinity. They had to find these teen boys to uh, smear, and once again, it is blown up in their face. And we find it unfortunate that there is actually a lot of black-on-white crime and black-on-black crime, but you never hear it. But the minute there's anything that even has the mere appearance of white-on-black crime, it is propagandized beyond belief over and over and over. And basically, it's this... um, there, there's an agenda out there um, to go after white males who may be competition for a certain group of people because um, everyone is allowed to have their identity politics except if you're white. And all of a sudden then it becomes white supremacism. Um, believe you me, I'm no Klan or white supremacist uh, lover, but there's something just logically, rationally, way out of whack here when nothing white males can do is right. They are the perfect whipping post for just about everything. What is that about? And we've thought about it a lot, and um, we have some of our theories. But let's move on to the whole transphobia, um, which is about – Trans um, trans people. I'm not really sure how they call themselves trans. It, it, at one point, they were basically uh, transvestites, but somehow now it's morphed into um, a whole trans um, gender thing. Um, it's basically where we see political correctness in extremists. It's at the far end of what is allowed to be politically correct. And so we see um, feminists, radical feminists, who are getting kicked out of lesbian marches simply because they're marching with a sign that has XX, which means female chromosome, which means um, anyone with a penis is not a, a female, no matter how, much you, uh, how many wigs or makeup you put on to try to uh, project yourself that way. Um, or, or even surgery. And um, it's been said that really the people behind the the whole transgender movement um, in many ways are uh, big pharma because they're making a lot of money the more people that they can get to the uh, transgender agenda. But um, there's something very strange when the New York Times has a trans columnist, uh, Jennifer Finney Bolin, What's with that? Um, and with the infusion of gay references and culture, 
I had the impression that they were maybe like even 10% of the population. But gays are only about 4.5% of the population. Um, and why there is so much attention on this? Well, on the one hand, I, I feel that um, because gays and even trans people have been so marginalized for so long, and all minorities, blacks, etc., um, that there does need to be a rebalancing. And we do need to see more uh, images and attention to uh, these minorities, blacks, gays, um, etc. But at the same time, I, 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 I'm not sure. I wish there'd be a study of it. Like if, for example, gays are only 4.5% of the population, what percentage of our culture is infused now with gay images and gay this and gay that? I mean, I'm not against gays. I'm totally for gays, and I think we should have gay uh, um, awareness. But has it gone out of balance? I, especially trans. And I worry because um, the way people are, young people are especially, in this media era of uh what we know the statistics of how much time is spent on a screen, be it your mobile device, be it your computer, whatever. You can't say that people aren't influenced by that. You can't say that they they are influenced by that. And I'm just wondering, you know, I'm not condemning as necessarily, but I'm wondering how much of people uh, coming out as trans or gay is due to media saying, oh, this, look at this. This is cool. This is a trending. This is, I don't know. I'm just asking that question. Well, I'd like and, to uh, interject here because I've been a gay activist uh, for a good part of my life here in New York City. So I've, I've fought a lot of battles here. And um, I understand what you're saying. Um, uh, but in the 60s and even in the early 70s, very precious little of any gay character in any uh, television show, uh, radio, or any, mm-hmm. any the, even the movies, it was very rare. It happened, but not a lot. And so there was mm-hmm. no, no focus for, for young gay or lesbian, transgender, bisexual people. They didn't have an image uh, to look up to, to, to look at. And so, mm-hmm. uh, in, a, in a way, it's good that we've come that far, that now there are major uh, series, movies, and you name it. Um, the, um, the Oscar Awards had uh, some uh, major awards given to gay movies, uh, movies with gay characters like The Green Book, for instance, uh, for mm-hmm. the, the favorite also with the lesbian sequence. So, mm-hmm. so that's, that is in the culture. But you know what, Kat and, and uh, Colleen, the thing that really, uh, and I am asking too, is who decides all this? Who, uh, how does it happen that all of a sudden we're getting, and you're right, a lot more coverage of transgender uh, issues? Um, who decided that? Because as we all know, the checks are signed in the major media by, uh, by people who have huge power. And some decision has, got, has had to have been made to play this up more. Is it to distract from other major issues? I'm asking the question. 
Okay. Um, well, um, we're moving towards that. I would like to, um, as an opening to that, look at the role of the liberal left in leading that charge. Um, it goes deeper beyond them, but let's just start there. Um, when the Occupy movement was around, it was all about the 99% against the 1%, and that was something we could all get behind. Well, gosh, what happened? Now it's instead of us against the 1%, now it's all about us against white supremacism. Yeah, like all 200 of those white supremacists out there, half of whom are probably infiltrated by the FBI. How did it switch from being a class-based issue, which we can all gather around and throw off those yokes, to being one of solipsistic um, self-needs? Um, it, it, it's like a weaponized victimology. And Okay. And so people, it becomes solipsistic. Uh, people are more concerned about their own personal issues. And um, they, um, it, it sets it up. It looks like this intersectionality, which supposedly is uh, cross oppressions, and you can have Venn diagrams of cross oppressions. Really what it amounts to is ways to shut down each other in internecine battles of who is the most victimized. And there never seems to be a coming together um, across all groups um, looking at who is oppressing all of us, which is um, the 1%. And so um, who is really doing this? Okay, we'll get to that. Um, And here we have... um, uh, Antifa, these supposedly anti-fascists, who end up being more fascist than fascist. Um, what I feel is that they were, uh, it's, it's a form of mind control. A lot of it is happening in the academy where the students are being socialized to, um, to look at things in terms of their own identity. So that's sort of where it's it's being promulgated and, um, and educated into our youth, but the liberal left have, have taken this as a way to, uh, to use as um, their own uh, form of control. And so political correctness is a form of mind control. Now, it's not like the mind control that was done on Sirhan Sirhan or the mind control of predictive programming where they feed um, our culture with um, things like planes running into buildings, those movies that happened before um, 9-11. But this identity politics and political correctness is definitely a form of mind control. And what it can kind of lead to is kids um, ratting on their own parents or manipulating their parents. For example, that, uh, that in the news right now, the kid who um, is opposed to his parents because he wants vaccines. And so he's ratting on his parents or these um, kids at like 10, 11 years old, and they want sex change operations and are able to, I mean, where did this programming come from? Is it really innate that they want to, little boys want to be female? It's, sort of state programming through the academy and this role of the liberal left is leading the charge. Um, 
there's what we have to kind of look at is the difference between authoritarianism and totalitarianism. So those are like the antipodes um, of this conversation, with authoritarianism being more on the right and totalitarianism being more on the left. Um, both of them are about oppression of the human spirit. But the difference is, is right-wing uh, fascist authoritarianism doesn't care if you like them or not. They just want to keep the state intact. And um, as long as you obey uh, all the rules, you'll basically be kind of left alone. Whereas totalitarianism, as we saw under communism, be it the Bolshevikism or um, um, Mao, um, the state um, wants to get in your mind. They want you to not just obey the rules, but to love them for it and believe in it. And so that's where this this whole cultural Marxism left-wing um, approach is coming from uh, is basically a form of mind control. Um, and with all the laws that we're seeing, we will get into censorship, um, but it becomes uh, 1984 doublespeak, uh, the two minutes of hate. Um, I don't know where the ACLU is in all of this, but what we're seeing is, um, well, I'm moving into sort of the censorship now, um, but do we want to say anything more about how the liberal left has, has led this charge and is basically controlling a conversation about um, um, what is politically correct to say or not and then silencing people? Um, so I guess we're moving into censorship, and from there we, we might well get to who we think is really behind, what forces are behind this. But, Colleen, did you want to say some of um, um Well, I, I think your audience probably knows lots of examples of censorship going on right now, and it's um, deplatforming, um, and it, it's... It's getting centered around hate. I mean, you know, I, I'm a lawyer, and uh, we were never taught in law school that hate is unconstitutional, that hate hate is not, um, so long as it doesn't lead to yeah, imminent violence, not just violence in general, but imminent violence. Hate is not, uh, should not be made illegal, and that's what they're doing, not, through the, the uh, courts per se, well, I think it might lead to that, but um, under the rubric of hate, they're able to stifle dissent. And what dissent is being stifled? Well, a lot of it is um, ultimately a tax on the 1%. Wouldn't you say, Kat? Um, the 1% and or capitalism. Um, but but no, the, the, a lot of uh, is around um, white males. Yeah, yeah. And so that that's that's where they're trying to stifle it, and they're they're using this political identity to silence and censor. But it's not just white males; it's all around vaccinations. Right. That, that too. Uh, many kinds of. Um, I don't know if they call that hate though around vaccines. Well, it's if hate or fake. They call it fake news. But ultimately, what you're saying is really true. Is because um, ultimately, it's about the one percent. Ultimately, and the one percent is 
it, well, it's not perceived. The 1% basically is um, or has long been white male. And so um, where control and power is, is the oligarchy. Um, and that has been white male. So it looks like they're going after the oligarchy through white male, but it's really uh, more contorted than that. Um, before we get there, I would just like to talk a little bit more about um, how the censorship is looking, because what it does is um, when you don't want to be um, threatened with um, um, as racist or any kind of um, oppressive person, you end up self-censoring. So a lot of people are self-censoring, and what we're seeing is the shutdown of intellectual inquiry, even in the realm of science, which one would think would just be pure um, objective um, statistics, uh, laws of uh, nature. But th right now, the science world is um, in somewhat of a crisis because there's a lot of fake science going on and scientists know where their money comes from and they are afraid to speak out. A lot of people know the truth about a lot of things. You can't tell me that there, the, the thousands of engineers in this country all bought that um, fires brought, office fires brought down the Twin Towers. So we even see science uh, scientists who are supposedly objective and committed to just where the evidence takes them, um, self-censoring as well. And so much of this is um, um, the, they're using the hammer of political correctness. And even um, beyond pre-crime, pre-thought crime. Um, Colleen, do you want to talk about the pre-thought crime and um, who, who the hate crime police are? Yeah, this, this whole hate crime police being the ADL, um, Anti-Defamation League, and particularly Southern Poverty Law Center, SPLC, who are lauded as the arbiters of what is hate, what is anti-Semitism, what is good and bad in the world. Um, there, I don't know if your listeners are aware of a recent case with um, a fellow named Glenn Allen. He's a lawyer. He was a lawyer in Baltimore, and he worked for the government in uh, defense uh, for, I believe, indigent defendants. And he did, um, at some point in his life, he had also been involved with, um, oh, it was a, what is that? It was a... It was an alleged white supremacist group. Well, not alleged, it was. And he had um, bought some of their DVDs. The it's a neo-Nazi Nazi National Alliance. So the SPLC began defaming him in public as a neo-Nazi. You're a neo-Nazi. And the city of Baltimore um, the, uh fired him basically they fired him and so glenn allen is suing the splc for defamation this past monday the uh splc brought a motion to dismiss glenn allen's case of defamation that he was called a neo-nazi and it's believed that no plaintiff has as yet ever survived a motion to dismiss in litigation against SPLC. 
Glenn Allen hopes to be the first person to do so. And if he does survive that motion and the case goes forward, there will be discovery, document requests, depositions to find out who, who is behind SPLC as, the, as I say, the arbiters and of what is hate, who, is, um, who, who can be uh, thrown off their jobs, who can be defamed. And, because once you're called an anti-Semite, I mean, that sticks. Once you're called a racist, that sticks. So who's allowed to say that? And who um, is uh, the stick that is uh, enforcing this? The ADL and the SPLC are the adjudicators. They're the thought crime police. Um, in the past, it used to be the government that would adjudicate these things. So now we have uh, big corporate fascist businesses, such as the mainstream media and Silicon Valley in social media are the ones who are dictating um, who gets deplatformed, what are community standards. It's reached epidemic proportions. And it's not just the right. The, the, the liberal left is, is so stupid. They were jumping up and down when it was Alex Jones and anything connected to uh, Trump, who, who they have been um, inculcated to uh, believe is uh, the next thing to Hitler. And so they, they go into these frenzies where they, they even, they just forget their um, standards, their values. Exactly. And they get thrown under the bus for immediate needs, not looking at long-term consequences if you're advocating censorship of one group. I mean, that's a slippery slope to go down. Because now they're going after, it's, it's not just the right, um, they're going after the left as well. But the left is so blinded by this um, programming that they can't even see that um, in their anti-MAGA fervor that um, they've become like um, useless idiots who are supporting this. And then they too will... Um, go under the, the the guillotine themselves, but they can't see it. So how is it that hate hate is hate is like the new pornography? Uh, that's not an original idea from us. A fellow named Jim Goad, a writer named Jim Goad, had an article recently in Tacky that website that hate is the new pornography. Uh, we can't define it, but we know it when we see it. Um, hate is something that First of all, it's, it's not, as I said, it's not illegal to express hate against someone. And yet that is a standard that YouTube will take you down because you expressed hate. Um, it's, it's really uh, scary is what it is. And they're trying to um, tell us that that's a standard. Yeah, that that's a standard. When... Uh, one fellow told me when I was having a conversation with him, a very educated person, that, well, it's good that they, we could certainly take down Alex Jones. And I said, but he wasn't um, advocating violence. And the response was, well, what he said could lead to violence. And my response was, well, if that's your standard, which, by the way, it's not the Supreme Court standard of violence, but if that's your standard, that it could 
this speech could lead to violence, then the entire New York Times website should be taken down because they led the charge on uh, false WMDs in Iraq, which not only, it led to enormous violence. I mean, it led to a whole war. And so uh, this was sort of, a, this was a liberal guy who was espousing this. It was kind of embarrassing. Go ahead. And where we're at now is you can hardly say anything that um, if it has even a, a smidgen of something that they can take and run with and, and tweet left and right and create a whole uh, Twitter storm out of, um, and it, it, it can silence people. Um, but we have to look at who is controlling the means of production to foment these things, who plucks what is going to be looked at, what is not going to be looked at? Well, the mainstream media, and we have to look at. Who owns the mainstream media? Well, also who owns the social media, Twitter, Google? Right, so we've got the mainstream media, who owns that? And then we've got Silicon Valley, who really owns all of those organizations, Google and YouTube? I mean, their whole uh, role with Jigsaw, I don't know if people know what Jigsaw is, but you've really got to look into that. It, they have, um, it, it's sort of like a, a, a online Blackwater. Um, you've got these um, big Silicon Valley organizations that don't answer to anybody. Should they be public utilities? Um, so you've got the academy. Who, who is deeply entrenched in the academy now? Who's, who's calling those shots? You've got the publishing industry. You've got Hollywood. You've got the whole art cultural industry. So these, these areas where cultural Marxism has the opportunity to totally smash through society and uh, create a, a whole new society, who is really calling the shots here? We feel that it's not enough just to say the 1%. It's not enough just to say the oligarchy, the elite. We feel that there should be a place, a clearinghouse, um, an analysis of naming actual names of who is in power in all of these industries, banking, publishing, media, uh, uh, even Big Pharma, who we want names. And we know that. Well, I got, a, I got a name to throw on the table, which is George Soros. Can we speak a moment about what he has been doing and why? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, he's part of the oligarchy who is more public and front-facing, and he's definitely um, behind color revolutions, behind um, – um, immigration in this country. He would be one of the perps. Thank you. Let's yeah. see the perps. Let's see I, the rest of them. I get so um, frustrated with Kate, Caitlin Johnstone, who puts out excellent essays, uh, but she will not name names of who these oligarchs are. We're not prepared to name them right now either. We believe that they take it takes some research. We're aware of some of them, but what we're asking your listeners is to, George Soros is the most famous one, there, but there are a number of 
uh, Soros's in each industry, who many of names we don't know, but look at the presidents of them. Look at the corporate presidents. And and part of this is I, I get a lot of uh, pushback from people who say it's it's just the oligarchs. Uh, Caitlin Johnston even calls it the blob. So it becomes this. I, how do you how do you um, go up against something when you don't deconstruct it? It just becomes elites, oligarchs, uh, the blob. And by deconstructing it and naming n- not just the names but the demographics of who these uh, plutocrats are, um, when you start looking at the demographics, it, any statistician worth their grain of salt are going to see some statistics just pop out off uh, all out of disproportion and we're not allowed to talk about that i have a personal kind of conspiracy theory that um the uh, actual statistics are actually kept either suppressed or um not even allowed to be um commissioned for study and, and Which they, statistics uh, are you talking about? Um, statistics because about the ownership, the ownership right, right. and the demographics. And um, and even if those demographics are there, they're so dispersed and or marginalized that it's difficult for the average person to get a clear picture um, of um, who exactly is uh, ruling and and running this show. Um, well, you're in uh, control of the of the narrative, when, and, and obviously that's taking place at great many different places. Controlling the narrative is censorship. It's it's controlling thought. It's controlling emotions, and this mm-hmm. is in huge play, as as you well know, right now. I think. The, the good news, and there is some good news, is that I think that more people are beginning to wake up and realize what is really going on. And I think that trend is going to get stronger and continue. And that is certainly a hope of mine and, and many others that, that people need to understand what is going on and what we can do about it. And part of it is simply information, correct information, no more fake news. Uh, the real facts, and, and that needs to be done. And the other thing you, I just wanted to mention is that a lot of people are afraid, literally afraid for their lives, to start naming names of who's in back of all this. They're just afraid. And there's been many cases where people and their families have been killed. Uh, there's, there's many stories like this that have happened. Uh, I know of several myself. And, and so yeah. people are, are thinking twice now, also, before they go public and start saying who they feel as though is responsible for for some of this injustice, and it certainly is injustice. So, so that's a dynamic that is really alive and well right now. Definitely, thank you for that addition. And it's your life could be threatened, and also um, not here in the U.S. as yet, but in Europe. You could go to prison for speech, just for speech, just for naming names, just for saying things. In Germany, there are about uh, 70 people in Germany in prison right now for speech wow. only. That's yeah. incredible. And, yeah, but it's very specific speech. It's speech around supposedly hate speech and very specifically around supposed anti-Semitic speech. Um and getting back to just gathering statistics and why we 
can't have them? Is somebody who who is not commissioning them, or how are they getting dispersed? There's an interesting concept that when we look at people of poverty or people of color, um, all manner of statistics and just total open kimono for um, people um, in in poverty-stricken um, um, situations. Those statistics are numerous. We can talk all we talk all the time about uh, the poor or different groups, but somehow the deconstruction statistically of who um, the oligarchs and ruling class actually are um, is not done. And why why is are those deep intrusions um, not allowed to happen? It's kept very suppressed. Um, now there's a man out with a book. Peter Phillips has a book called Giants. I don't know if you're aware of that. It's um, been getting it quite a bit of play because he says he names names. Over 400 names. Yeah, and like everybody. Those who are ruling the whole planet. The deciders. And I looked at his book and I looked at his list and I'm like, excuse me, these people are just the factotums. They're, they're the, at the upper reaches of that, but they're, they're just the, they're not the decision makers. They're just the administrators for the ruling class who are the decision makers. So I was very disappointed when somebody from the left is touting, I'm naming names, and he's really not going to the source. Mm -hmm. The other thing is, is when you start looking to the source, what we hear all the time is, um, Jeff Bezos, the wealthiest person in in the world. <laughs> I am so tired of that canard as Bezos as the most wealthiest man. I mean, really intelligent people even spouted. But in fact, um, there's a concept called intergenerational wealth. And there are people who have been wealthy since the 19th century and who have continued to be wealthy. Jeff Bezos is a nouveau riche. They can put him under the table with their wealth, but their names aren't usually mentioned. So there's very much this silencing um, and then we see when people do begin to talk about it, for example, the the yellow vest, oh, my God, what a great movement. The French are leading it. Um, the, the vanguard here, um, they are getting um, so much pushback from their government. We barely hear what's going on with the yellow vest because there's so much censorship. Nobody wants to know that there are people just like us. This isn't some... Uh, far off weird third world country where they're um, um, opposing a, an evil dictator. This is civilized France. Um, yeah, I'm saying that in quotes. Um, and the, the yellow vests have been accused of anti-Semitism for talking about bankers. Bankers supposedly being the code word um, for um, elite uh, Jewish wealth. Well, <laughs> why are they going after them so much? What I would really like to see happen is for people to begin to request, demand, seek out, and look statistical information across influential industries that I have named banking, um, 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 war traffic tearing, pornography, culture, art, um, um, war weaponry, publishing, just everything that's really controlling us. Let's not just look at even the names, can we look at the demographic composition and see if there's anything disproportionate about who these people are? Because for a long, long time, 
it was perceived to be wasp. It was wasp. For a long, long time, it was wasp. That demographic has transformed, and there is no acknowledgement of that because to acknowledge it can get you in very real trouble. You lose your job, and in some countries, you get put in prison. So I'm speaking in code, but that's what's going on. Um, if, If we may, we would like to, we're coming to an end here. We'd like to make some possible recommendations. Please do. I was going to ask that. Please go ahead. (laughs) Thank you. Okay. Well, one is I feel that um, I'm not against identity politics per se, but when 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 it's a driving force, I think that's problematic. And I feel we should return to our biggest unifier, which is class and go back to the concept of we are the 99%. Uh, That's called, you know, transpartisanism. Another thing I think we really need is someplace, a clearinghouse for all the censorship going on. It's just left and right, and it's just happening really quickly, and there's no one uh, place that's recording it and documenting it. I think it was Elizabeth Woodward who recommended that, and uh, she was the co-author with David Ray Griffin of Unmasking 9-11, the recent book. Um, another concept is we, I feel that we grassroots activists need to push our influences, influencers. We need to push our Amy Goodmans, our um, common dreams are to to push them to recognize that censorship is really a, a, a um, they're, they're hardly talking about right it. when on democracy now have we heard that there's massive deplatforming going on unless they're um celebrating that alex jones has gotten taken down right or the nation or so many of these progressive uh, magazines i feel that we should be uh influencing the influencers and I also feel another, we, we, we need to constantly do one-on-one consciousness raising. Every time you change one person's perspective and open them up, it's a victory. Uh, we have a friend who, he um, never went to college, but he's a, a scientist and he, was, he, he, he helped build the Hubble. And, the Hubble telescope. Yeah, the Hubble telescope. He has no uh, university credentials. And lo and behold, we've been feeding him some, uh, well, he's a scientist, so we've given him the um, architects and engineers uh, a video, uh, explosive evidence. And he looked at it, and he's like, oh, my gosh. I mean, he's a scientist, so he analyzed it scientifically. So we're slowly working on him. Um, we, we just, you can't um, underestimate the value of, one-on-one authentic organic consciousness raising. Um, I don't mean to say it uh, It sounds so um, cynical, but for every one of us who really get it, we're worth 60,000, let's say, of their walking brain dead full of distractions and pollution and um, uh, just polluted minds. Um, we have to remain strong, and we can reach each one-on-one is stronger than any kind of uh, mass dissemination that happens. And mm-hmm. we, we have to keep that um, in mind. And another thing that um, let's celebrate our wins. Um, I was just uh, reading today 
um, that the UNS review, which even before a year ago, I hadn't even really read, um, it's online, UNC, UNS review, has now pretty much bypassed um, Counterpunch, The Nation, and um, one, I think The New Republic. I mean, they're they're getting increasingly this year, like, Counterpunch's um, numbers have dropped significantly, and UNS has increased. And what is UNS Review? Um, it started by Ron UNS, who is um, um, uh, he's transpartisan. He allows leftist, right, right-wing people, um, people who are into conspiracy theories, people who talk about Holocaust denial. He allows freedom of speech where these other more doctrinaire, very closed systems that the left and the right have become, we no longer feel and identify with left or right. It's about a transpartisan free speech approach. On that note, ladies, we have to start wrapping up. Uh, This has been a very fascinating uh, episode. Uh, Thank you for being guests. And Nick, thank you for putting together this show. Uh, It it was very uh, uh, refreshing to hear different perspectives and to stand in different places and to see things in a new way. Thank Absolute you. pleasure, and I'm so looking forward to having uh, both Kath uh, and Colleen on. And uh, please accept uh, an invitation to come back sometime soon and do some more topics because this is certainly a huge amount of issues here, and you've covered some beautifully, and there's a lot of others to put on the table. And I hope you will be free at some point to do that. We'd love to. And- Thank you so much, Nick. In, Absolute in pleasure. honor of Absolute your show, uh, I'm putting on the song Cry Freedom as the transition. Okay. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Thanks, thanks again. Have a great day. Welcome. Okay. Bye. Bye.
expanding universe Trust that brain behind your eyes To carve a space for us within the universal mind And if it's up to us to bring some balance back Let it not be said, it's courage that we of Olympus, which is our monthly um, exploration of cosmic spirituality in theory and practice. The second part of our show is Unarian Revelations. I'll be hosting tonight, and our guests include Unarians Jack Appel and Paula Greenwood. Today, we will be um, exploring the question, what does it mean to be an energy being? Greetings and welcome, Jack and Paula. How are you? Uh, doing good, thank you. I appreciate having us on. Greetings. Well, I'm Great to be here. Doing well. Thank you. I'm glad that you're here. Um, it is always great to talk to fellow Unarians, and I'm really looking forward to uh, um, picking your brains uh, on tonight's uh, topic. Now, in the Unarian teachings, we learn that um, we are, in truth, uh, energy beings. Can you please explain exactly what this means? Jack, right. do you want to start? Right. Uh, I guess so. Yeah, I'll, I'll take off here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, one of the things that we're uh, constantly exposed to in Unarius' uh, teachings is the fact that, you know, they say we're an energy being, and, and what they also teach us is that there are many aspects of that, you know, and, and, and and much like uh, I guess I can relate it to you know how the uh, Statue of Liberty, if you've ever been inside of it, it has an outer skin and then there's a supporting structure on the inside. Uh huh. Well, well, that's kind of like what our energy body is on the uh, uh, like a blueprint, so to speak, or a foundation for the physical body. Now, now the uh, this is an energy body, uh, but uh, and, I, and I don't want to make it sound like the physical body is energy as well, but. I just want to bring out the multi aspects that's a, or the that's a good point by the way. Yeah. So so it's it's like that that inner supporting structure on the on the Statue of Liberty is like like our energy body on a different dimension supporting our physical. It, it, it's like the, the basis. Uh and uh the other important thing about being an energy being is the fact that you know, 
energy is stored. You know, all of our thoughts from the past, our experiences, forms, and, you know, the consciousness even that we had way back in other lives is all part of us now. It stays, as, you know, as part of our being. It goes to make uh-huh. us what we are. So that's why it's, you know, one of the things that makes it so important to know that you're you're an energy being because then you start to understand how you function and how you fit into the you know, bigger picture, so to speak. Thank you. That was that was very uh, um, informative, and I, I like the fact that you pointed out that even our physical body is energy. That's something that we often <laughs> overlook. Thank you, um, Paula. You want to yes. add to that? Yes. Yes. So Ernest Norman, co-founder of Unarius, gets very scientific in his description of uh, of humans, man and men and women, and how our physical body is an energy body that breaks down to the atomic level with molecules and atoms, and that everything in the terrestrial world, all of mass is energy structures, and those. Those atoms have a higher component of the isotopes, which are connected to these higher dimensional realms. So the Earth world is a third-dimensional terrestrial world, and we have physical form in this third-dimensional terrestrial worm world. But our physical bodies are not just the atoms and molecules that compose the matter of what our body is, but this energy structure that is integral in our makeup, uh, which also includes our aura or psychic anatomy, our psychic body. So we have this physical body comprised of atoms and molecules and our psychic body, which is our aura, which Many people, you know, have heard of the term aura, and all mm-hmm. of all of uh, what we are comprised of, we are connected interdimensionally to these higher astral worlds, and through our higher selves, the higher minds that create the infinite mind or the God force or what Unarius calls infinite creative intelligence. So there's this um, polarity shift between us and these higher realms, our physical forms, and these higher realms. Okay, understood. Uh, I've, I've meditated on this uh, point, um, and uh, um, it, it, it's amazing. Our tension uh, seems to be like the pointer uh, that you move around with a, ma- a mouse, but there's a vastness uh, that uh, the mouse can only uh, click on one thing at a time, the pointer, and draw attention to it. Uh, but the Internet's like a vast thing. It sounds like what you're describing, that uh, we're energy beings, and there there's like an endless sea of energy of different vibrations, and we're, we're there all the time, but we're just aware of... Uh, um, what we're doing here as physical beings most of the time. Did I grasp That's that right. correctly? That's right. Okay, now, what is it like to uh, to exist on, let's say, the energy level? Um, how is our awareness uh, different there than it is uh, here? Okay, uh, okay. well, we... <coughs> We were here on this planet here to, to learn things, right? And uh, one of the key elements of 
what we're learning about energy is that there's an, a proper use and an improper use of, of energy. Now we okay. we've we've been finding out that we're we're pretty darn good at not doing it right. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and what I, what I mean by that is you have a higher self or a super consciousness, and in order to live on a higher realm, that super consciousness has to be developed. And that's the energy being. It has to be developed to the point where it's the totality of your existence. So every time that we do something positive, and and we do a, a, an education and a learning, or you know, some kind of re- understanding of how we did something wrong in the past and learned from it and turned it around, as we like to call it, or, or worked it out, uh, that creates a little bit more of a. a, a of structure in your higher self or your super conscious. So, okay. Uh, it takes time, but, uh, you know, I, existence is really, a, it's a totally spiritual existence uh, when you're on an energy, if you're an energy being. <clears throat> now, like I say, uh, on an energy level, I should say, I'm sorry, but uh, so I'm thinking maybe I'm, hopefully I'm not misinterpreting the question, but I'm thinking that when he, you know, we're learning that as we go through all these lifetimes, we're evolving and adding to, if we're using the proper techniques, adding to our higher self, which is strengthening our higher self and eventually we'll be up on, uh, on a better place. You know, we won't, and that's uh, what we call the infinite plan or the, or the grand scheme. It, it's, the infinite plan, I guess. Yeah, you're learning and evolving mm-hmm. with everything you do. So then physical existence uh, where our consciousness currently is is like a schoolroom then. Yeah, I like that phrase. Every lifetime is like a day in school. Okay, there we go. <laughs> yes, well, and and so when um, when we incarnate, into the terrestrial wor- world for the first time, we are um, we've evolved through before we become a human form. We've evolved from state of amoeba up through the plants and the animal, and and then we reach a state of consciousness where we are um, ready to become a physical human form. This there's intelligence that has evolved throughout our incarnations in lower levels of uh, physical existence before human. And then you incarnate in, uh, into the, third, uh, the terrestrial worlds to learn lessons. And as you reincarnate over and over again, you, uh, you, you develop your higher self, your positive self through positive works, and then you experience psychic shocks through wars and and fighting and death and dying and and eventually um, over time, well, people of Earth are really old souls. We haven't perfected that self mastery and how you become an energy being living uh, with without the need of physical form. These higher advanced minds have progressed and evolved past the terrestrial realms into the astral realms and then the higher causal realms where you're beyond form it's just thought Uh, but before you can advance and progress beyond this third dimensional plane you have to perfect yourself and discharge all of the negative energy waveforms 
that you've accumulated in your many lifetimes uh, with many negative lifetimes. The positive lifetimes is where you develop your positive higher self with, through positive deeds and love and selflessness. And eventually, when you've discharged all of those negative energy waveforms that are part of your psychic body, you're then ready to graduate into the next school of life in the in the astral planes, the higher astral planes. And then there, you uh, you regenerate and learn and live on those higher planes of astral, eventually to expand and progress beyond that to the causal planes. So we evolve uh, from simpler forms to more complex forms, and this is just the process of our evolution. So uh, just like we went from uh, um, uh, single-cell organisms to uh, maybe plants uh, uh, to uh, uh, simple animals and so forth until we evolved into uh, people, uh, it sounds like we're evolving into, uh, into higher beings. Uh, through the process of our being here uh, on Earth. Yes, that's correct. And so just like the world is different to a single-cell organism and my chihuahua, let's say, than it is uh, to us because we're more complex uh, beings, uh, and the chihuahua and the amoeba can't imagine what we're thinking and how we perceive uh, our world, uh, except in relation to how they perceive the world. Uh, I don't even know if the amoeba would be aware of us at all. We'd be, I think, invisible to the amoeba. And, um, but uh, um, so it, it must be with us and higher beings that at our present rate of evolution, at our present place in evolution, uh, we're not equipped to understand what a higher being would be like because we're not higher beings. That's right. And it's all consciousness. And, and as the amoeba evolves into the plant, uh, it lives and it dies and it develops more consciousness, more intelligence, and not, you know, not the conscious intelligence that humans have. But eventually it will evolve to the point of human consciousness. And, and all of us, all, this, all living matter uh, is is part of the infinite and in tune with that infinite mind, that infinite creative intelligence that is the God force and the, uh, the, the unity and accumulation of many, many millions of advanced beings in wow. unified consciousness. So it, it's beyond our imagination. Um, uh, astral life we can perceive through dreams and astral projection and a lot of other um, exercises. So that that's understandable. And those of us who think and meditate can uh, perceive something about the uh, um, the mental uh, realms. Uh, and uh, some of us are fortunate to touch upon the spiritual um, every uh, now and again and to to experience uh, that. Um, but uh, it, it's beyond uh, my imagination, certainly, on what it would be like to be beyond mind and to exist uh, there and what my yes. daily life would be like uh, as, a, as a being of pure spirit or pure energy. Yes, it's unimaginable. It's infinite. But, but part of us is already there because we're, we're part of this vast sea of energy. Uh, so um, I guess on some level we we're there already, but we we just don't perceive that we're there. 
That's right. And you can't you can't fully be there until you've attained that full development. Like we we can't imagine that infinite mind force because we don't have, you know, we're not there yet, but we can think about it and and uh, theorize about it and try to perceive what it is. But, you know, you can't, we can't live in these higher realms until our frequency has developed to a higher frequency. So, and in order to do that, that's where that self-mastery comes in and discharging all the negative waveforms that are part of our psychic anatomy. Now, both of you, both uh, Jack and yourself, Paul, have mentioned that um, by being positive, uh, by uh, performing unselfish uh, acts, uh, we can hasten our evolution. Um, And I guess by being negative and being selfish, we slow down our evolution. Uh, If somebody wanted to graduate the the schoolroom of physical life, um, what type of student would they have to be like what would our life be like uh how would it be different than how we normally live our lives in order to uh progress consciously well uh, i think one of the first things is you'd have to learn how to not to hang on to the past you know and it's uh it's a pretty complex question actually because you know, we've lived these physical lives so much, you know, so many lifetimes mm-hmm. that that's really what we know. So to learn how to become uh, almost a 180 degree opposite of what we've been is uh, for some people uh, not that hard maybe, but uh, and it's an individual proposition. But you, you have to be willing to change and you have to be very uh, analytical. You have to look at things in a, in a much different perspective, like we're talking energy here. So you have to look at things that happen and come into your life as energy. And sometimes that's difficult when it's, when it's a situation that's rather painful or it makes you go emotionally off, <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah, but life is but, hard. But, the, <laughs> but folks that are really good at, you know, moving themselves forward, you know, can, you know, masters. You know, they they know that an energy is is all it is. You know, if something you know, happens, a car accident, you know, there's an energy from the past that caused that accident. You know, so uh, and and the the benefit of looking at it that way is now, you know, you need a little objectivity, or you're not going to be able to really work with the energy. And so, and, and again, that objectivity <clears throat> is the opposite of what you usually do as a physical being you know physical being you know we always react and you know everybody does in fact that's how we say you know you're involved with something because if you don't react to it and it just brushes off off you you know it's not that big a deal but if it's uh you see something and it really triggers something within you or you participate back you know there's your clue you know that you've been involved so um but uh yeah uh that's that's what the very different aspect of it is learning to see these things as energy, uh, and like I say, because we've had so many lifetimes here in the physical, it, it it's learning to live quite a different lifetime. Uh, you know, you're you're looking at things and trying to understand why you have what you have in front of you, you know, because everything is energy all around you. Everything you've done is reflecting out from your consciousness. 
So you're looking at everything through your own little filter, you know, from your own personal experiences. And uh, it takes a little bit of practice, you know, to be able to, you know, look at something. And and we're all pretty much guilty of this where, you know, when the past comes in, you know, we're not going, oh, I'm going to, you know, dissect this energy from the past. You know, you usually go with it and, you know, react and just, (laughs) you know. And then you sit down. Then you sit down, you know, after and go, oh, yeah, I got to do something with this, you know. But, uh, that, yeah, that's at least a, one way that I look at it, how you would have to be uh, as a student of uh, yourself. You know, that that's one of the things we hear a lot, too, you know, mastery over self. And, you know, it's learning to not let your thoughts just completely buoy you around. You need to, you know, do something with them, especially if they're uh, – like I say, repetitious or whatever, you know, and I guess mm-hmm. what I mean is, you know, we have certain techniques and tools that we, we've been given, such as like writing in your journal when you have a, a, a situation that comes in. So that's taking your thoughts and, and you know, you're relating them down on paper. And when you do that, you get some of that important objectivity I was speaking about earlier. And uh, uh-huh. it opens up the door to get, to get some help. And, uh, and then there's uh, other things, but, yeah, the point being that it it, it takes a, a an inner strength. You know, you have to because it, it's really not easy. Most it's really easy to just let these thoughts just push you around just the way they've always been. You know, so it, it, it's interesting to learn about how these things uh, affect you, and, and that the, the most exciting thing about it is that you can actually do something about them instead of just let them just watch them go by or. I guess as we call it, like a cork, you know, be like a cork on the ocean. Instead, you're learning to, to oppose the things and work with them, not let them gain control over you. Okay, thank you very much, Paula. I'll just reiter- reiterate a little bit on what Jack said, and it and it comes down to understanding that we are energy beings and how energy works, and using journals and self-awareness and self-analysis whenever we have a strong, intense, negative emotional reaction, whether it's anger, criticism, judgment, hate, fear, you know, phobias. Um, we need to, to, as students, we're taught to, you know, work on our journals and reflect on where is this coming from, what past life are these intense emotions coming from that are manifesting in my present current life, whether I'm reacting to my boss or my child or a friend or a politician or, you know, whatever my strong, intense emotional reaction is, that's a clue for me to take a look at it. Or if you're having a phobia, a fear of water, fear of heights, you know, all of those phobias are clues. Or um, also physical diseases, uh, cancer. Uh, We have a Unarian student who recently... Had uh, was diagnosed with breast cancer, and through past life therapy, she recognized what past life this was coming from. And in conjunction with medical, brief medical treatment, she was and her own self awareness with through her understanding of past life therapy, she was healed of breast cancer. So all mental and physical emotional disease is a negative aberrated energy waveform that is manifesting from our psychic anatomy 
into our physical body, our physical anatomy. And that's when you use these past life therapy tools to put to understand where it's coming from and rectify uh, that past. And through your objectification and understanding of that past life, it cancels out that negative aberrated energy waveform and the waveform becomes a positive free-flowing waveform that is attuned to your higher self and the higher infinite intelli- infinite creative intelligence or God force. Wow, that's uh, heavy because uh, um, basically part of what you're saying is that uh, who and how we are creates the life we experience. And as Jack said before, if you don't react to something, uh, it's not for you. It's what you're reacting to that mirrors back, uh, you know, what you need to work on because you have a reaction. And that's kind of automatic. Uh, and your yeah. your energy places you there. So it's nobody judging you or... Um, you know, uh, uh, throwing obstacles in your path deliberately. This is something that part of you is creating so that you can uh, learn and move past it and become more evolved. It's a harmonic frequency. Whatever that external stimuli was that triggered within your energy body this past life, uh, it manifests in the physical through frequency relationship. Now, Unarius is a very interesting uh, organization and spirituality um, in that uh, full responsibility is claimed for uh, the events of one's life. And that is something very rare in our world where people continuously seek to blame other people for everything that uh, um, happens. And we see this even uh, amongst our leadership. Um, you know, that uh, this type of uh, passing the buck, you know, instead of the buck stops here. Um, so Unarius is very unique uh, in that way. And also Unarius gives you tools and you're encouraged to use those tools rather than believing uh, what somebody wrote because they wrote it. Um, and uh, even though Unarius honors uh, its uh, founders, the moderator and Uriel, uh, they gave tools, and Unarius encourages people to use those tools and to apply them to their own spiritual uh, journey and to value the experiences that they have. And that, too, makes Unarius uh, rather unique and, in my eyes, very commendable. So uh, both of you have been students uh, for much longer and much more focused uh, than I have. Um, what do you see as your mission within Unarius, and what type of information do you feel it's more important uh, to communicate uh, to people? Well, okay, uh, I guess I'll go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, I guess uh, my idea of the mission is to uh yeah just learn how to you know advance move yourself forward you know that's the goal is just to not go backwards anymore you know to be a uh get a little control over your your, your life again you know uh, and to heal and then the other thing is you know after we've been students for so long we're we're kind of at a point where a lot of us, like Paul and myself, are, you know, we're, that's why we're here talking about it because we like talking about how we've been benefited by, you know, the, these teachings so much and we want to tell other people about it, you know, uh, because I've really seen some tremendous healings 
and had some of my own tremendous healings about uh, in the last several decades I've been involved because of the fact that uh, you know you're learning about these energy beings these I mean, these energy uh, situations or waveforms that come from the past and then that's the beauty of of, no, of when something comes in like that it may be very unpleasant but there's a way out you can you can learn from it and get some healing and you know we like to say that we uh, heal ourselves because mm-hmm. we're not going uh, to, to somebody else but you know there is the fact that we get a ton of help from from higher beings you know that's who Ernest and Ruth Norman were you know they, you know, they were here in the physical but their higher selves were very advanced and uh, they are just relating a universal teaching you know uh, and brought it down to the language that we can understand you know, it's interesting. You read some of the books and they look like they're so complicated, you know, very complex. And, and then, uh, you know, somewhere along you'll read that this is uh, about as simple as we can make it for you guys, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so just saying that, it, it just keeps on going. But but that's the other important thing about the energy things that we're learning is that they're universal. They're not just here on the earth plane. So, well, uh, if we're in school, it's, it's good that we have uh, uh, advanced students uh, um, helping us out, and then we have teachers who uh, um, help us learn our lessons. And I guess if you um, are open to learning, uh, then you'll be instructed. And then if you're not, whatever instruction or inspiration comes to you, you'll discount it. But uh, So th- that would be another great thing about Unarius. It teaches you about uh, the invisibles who are beyond and what they're all about and uh, um, helps you work with them and helping you evolve. Yes, and, and you reminded me about something that you reminded me about something I should have said before about uh, what kind of it's it kind of it's it's uh, two questions and one answer. You know, yes, what kind of person you're, what kind of student do you have to be, you know, to to work with the energy and and now what is our uh, goal or what is the mission and. Uh, you know, a big answer to that is to, to learn that, to not be so selfish, to, to learn to be a selfless person. Because that is one of the things that builds the higher self, is doing something positive for somebody else. And when you read about the higher beings on the inner planes, you know, you find out that they're completely selfless and some to, to such a degree that they, that they don't even have names. They that they exist on such a high energy plane and that they are working in consciousness with other people, other beings that have also gotten to that point in their evolution and, and they're working for a common cause and that common cause is for the, the betterment of all, better, betterment of energy, I guess you could say, or of the infinite. Thank you. That That is awesome. Paula? Well, when you asked the question, I heard it two different ways. Like, I didn't, I wasn't sure if you were asking what my mission in Unarius was or the Unarius mission, and so I'm going to answer both. I I asked both. (laughs) Oh, all right. I believe uh, that my mission in this life ultimately was to find Unarius. I believe that before I incarnated, when I was in these astral worlds, preparing for this incarnation, the spiritual teachers that were working with me in that dimension 
were helping me to prepare for this incarnation. And and I think because I've had many lifetimes killing myself in previous lifetimes, and when you do that, you destroy your your libido, your life force. And and I I was asking for help, and and so in this incarnation, it was set up for me to come and get the help that I needed to understand these energy principles and why I was regenerating life after life these suicides and destroying myself, and also drug addiction, understanding where that came from. So so I and uh, and in addition because of life positive lives that I've lived with Uriel as a student and in it, and then on the opposite polarity of that, the negative lives that I've lived with her. So part of my mission was to help overcome those negative past lives through the understanding of these self-healing principles. And the Unarius mission itself, I believe, just to add on what Jack was saying, is that these scientific energy principle teachings that Ernest Norman brought brought through all of these numerous books through his advanced intellect and advanced uh infinite mind that he is in conjunction in conjunction with Uriel. Uh they brought these teachings so that we can help ourselves. So that this planet will stop destroying civilizations that like we've done in so many lifetimes in the past, so many cycles in the past. And to help uh, move forward the positive future of uh, Earth, which Earth is destined to eventually become a very beautiful, positive, spiritual, and even astral planet. But before we can become that, we have to overcome so much negativity. Earth, the planet Earth is one of the lowest Earth planets that there are in these terrestrial dimensions because we're very old souls that haven't learned that lesson and have destroyed ourselves and others so many hundreds or thousands of lifetimes that uh, we were kind of uh, quarantined to planet Earth. Uh, like like Australia's, you know, criminals were sent, sent people were, criminals were sent to Australia. And uh-huh. so the mission is to... Uh, to bring these teachings to enlighten humans and to help us teach us how we can escape this this uh, endless cycle of reincarnation and evolve to become spiritual beings. Um, that is very heavy, and thank you for sharing that. That's also very personal. I, I've noticed... Uh, in uh, many of the uh, Unarian uh, workshops and sharings of information, uh, people are very honest with uh, all the difficulties that they've ex- encountered in uh, uh, their lifetime and the challenges that they faced. And uh, um, that is uh, incredibly awesome because uh, the people in the audience uh, realize that they're not alone in what they're going through and uh, that it is possible uh, to uh, transform the experience into something progressive and positive. Yes. Yes. Well, you know, uh, being open like that's kind of a learned uh, thing because uh, I, I, as I've been around a while, I kind of noticed that when somebody's new, they're a little reluctant to get up and, ex- and, ex- and talk about some of these things, you know, and we've all uh-huh. had those butterflies and you know, cold feet and all and, 
Yeah. But then you realize it's the best thing to get up there and, and expose it because you, you, I've heard that it's a subconscious thing that you're really either not fully let go of something or you're uh, hiding, you know, and you're still you know, basically still something from the past, you know. It's keeping you from taking part in, in that openness of expressing what the problem is. And when you do that, you know, when you're when you're free of those past energies, then you're open to get some answers and some help. You know, there's been a lot of people that when we do our, like I say, our workshops, some of the things that we have at our anniversary in, in, our, in our conclave, you know, we always have a workshop, you know, most likely have past life therapy or whatever. And some people have some great experiences, you know, and healings while they're talking. Mm-hmm. In fact, uh, Paul is one. <laughs> Paul has a experienced that very recently and they're really wonderful examples of what happens when you open up and, and let the uh, help come. Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, there's there's a lot to explore in uh, the Inarius writings. And again, the, the techniques for getting there yourself are very uh, helpful. And with practice, like everything else, it becomes uh, you know easier in time uh, and uh, clearer um, what you're experiencing and uh, what I like especially is in the uh, um, the pulse of creation the centers of uh, Unarius uh, formerly called uh, Shambhala um, many of those places that I have a resonance to um, reaching them is no longer difficult it's, it's basically a matter of willing yourself uh, there uh, and you're there so the higher astral locations that are described are very real. Yes, and in in those realms, in the fourth and higher dimensions, there's no time and space. Right. And and with your mind and consciousness, you instantly can transport there. And and you have development to be able to do that. Uh, If you didn't have some development yourself, Hercules, you wouldn't be able to do that. Um, but I have a long way to go. I, I, I know myself. <laughs> and I, too, I keep journals. I, I kept journals before I became aware uh, the journal uh, keeping was part of the, the Unarius experience. Uh, and uh, I also review my day every day. And uh, there is always something I could have done uh, better or with more compassion or, um, you know, with more listening. Uh, you know, it's a learning experience. And uh, um, it always seems that uh, there, there's evolution to happen. There's growth that's possible. That's part of the learning process. So the astral experiences are, are fun and enlightening, but I don't think they reflect on any type of uh, spiritual evolution. They feel more like a, a skill. It's like something I'm, I was just always able to do to some extent, and then um, you know I've cultivated it over the years, and uh, uh, it, I, I can do it more effortlessly and more effectively. Um, but here's where the learning takes place. It seems you know in our day by day. Uh, the type of life that most people um, who are on a spiritual path disparage, um, Unarius teaches you to embrace that life because that's what's teaching you. That's that's how you grow. That's how you evolve. That's how you learn. 
Yes, and the healing can only take place in this dimension. It starts in the fourth dimension, but it manifests in the third dimension, in the physical body on an Earth planet. And the fact that there's no time, that's something that it takes, uh, well, it took me a very long time to really, like, figure that out. <laughs> the, 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 the experiences are beyond time, and the time, as we understand it, does not exist in these uh, places. Uh, there's, there's kind of like a, a timelessness um, where it's always now. And it kind of connects with every point uh, everywhere. And it, it, it took me a very long time. Intellectually, I, I got it. But it, it took a very long time for that, for the understanding to kind of sink in. Yes. Yes. Now, what are the um, astral realms? Like, for me, it's the Grecian uh, um, civilizations. And one of the things Unarius uh, helped me to do is to free myself from the cultural uh, trappings of the Grecian uh, civilization in Greece. Uh, I'm Greek, as you know, and uh, I, I was raised with a lot of information that most people aren't uh, raised with because I, I received a traditional Greek education and they spent years you know, teaching all sorts of things about philosophy and theosophy and so forth uh, and mythology. Um, but I, my understanding for a very long time was very closely tied to the Greek culture. So because the Grecian current is cosmic and it's appeared in places other than Greece. Uh, Unarius helped me free myself from the cultural associations that were blinding me to a very great extent. So for that, I'll always be uh, grateful. And they also helped me identify that my service was not so much to the cultural, but to the cosmic. Uh, and therefore, the my life mission this time around uh, is to bring the more cosmic elements of that and anchor them here through, you know, whatever I happen to be doing. And um, basically that's what I do all the time. Like, like with you, uh, I'm never, I never stop <laughs> doing what I'm doing. It's, it's what I'm here to do. And uh, um, I appreciate that in uh, Unarians too, uh, that uh, you're so very dedicated uh, to your mission and you're carrying it out uh, um, despite feelings of shortcomings or, um, you know, uh, whatever, you are very dedicated to um, doing your life work. And, and that is awesome. Well, we really feel like there is a, no other way out of a lot of this, you know, you know, I look at it this way for myself anyway, you know, if I've, had all these healings and uh, and I have you know I appreciate where they come from mm-hmm. so to me it's like it's like you know showing a little appreciation in return for you know furthering uh, the mission I guess as we call it yeah. And you're very dedicated to it. I, I sat in an audience with you speaking, and I've had you on the show a number of times. Uh, you are very dedicated uh, to your mission, and uh, you've always been very open and honest, and uh, um, you have a very uh, unique uh, perspective on things that uh, comes through your, um, you know, your responses to the questions, and I greatly appreciate that, Jack. Well, thank you. I, I do appreciate that. <laughs> 
And, and, and Paula, I you're... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, well, you're I didn't a realize... Person. Oh. You didn't realize... Well, I'm I have sorry. a negative side to, my, to me, too. We all do. <laughs> it I comes do, too. Out. It rears I its ugly too. head. <laughs> <laughs> that lower self doesn't want to let go. No, it doesn't. That's but what I was going to say about you being Greek, I didn't know you were Greek, but there's no accident that you were born into a Greek family because no doubt that was one of the lessons that you set up to learn through understanding your past lives with the Grecian culture. Uh, and and in my own life, you know, I'm half German, and through past life therapy it helped me to understand my karmic relation to the Holocaust and Germany, and then my interest in this lifetime before Unarius with Hindu, with Paramahansa Yogananda's teachings was a big mm-hmm. clue to my past life um, in India where I did kill myself and other lifetimes in India. So our likes and our dislikes in this current life are clues to to positive and negative experiences from past lives and past cultures and countries. I, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, and uh, when you look back um, on the, the forces in this lifetime, both positive and negative, that uh, shaped you and helped you become who you are, uh, the genius of it uh, as an, uh, a form of instruction can't help but you know rock you. It's like uh, it's like everything, even though it might not have been pleasant and it might not have uh, uh, made sense at the time. Uh, when you look back, it makes perfect sense that you know, there was no other way to really teach you this except the way that it happened. And life also, I've noticed, too, if you don't learn a particular lesson, it keeps happening to you <laughs> again and again and again until uh, you, you, you resolve it and you move forward. Yes, because we're constantly re- – energy is in move- motion constantly. Uh, and so we're either regenerating – the negative, or we're regenerating the positive. And we're, our time is, uh, we have like 15 more minutes, so we could touch upon a couple more questions. Um, but um, now, the highest, um, I feel the highest uh, that I've ever felt uh, in two circumstances. One is when I am engaged in my work, my life work, and I've totally lost all sense of ego uh, in that I'm just doing, you know, what I feel I should be doing and I'm totally immersed in it. So I'm not even really thinking about it. I'm just uh, um, doing it or it feels sometimes like you're a conduit um, uh, for what's being done rather than the agent that's uh, causing it to happen. So during those times, I usually get very enthusiastic and in Greek, the word enthusiasmos means possessed by a god. So uh, enthusiasm was seen as a uh, divine uh, energy. So I, when I'm very enthusiastic and engaged, that's when I connect to the highest I've ever felt. Uh, and then the other time is during uh, very deep uh, uh, meditation sessions when I, I'm able to calm my body and calm uh, my emotions and calm my thoughts and calm my imagination and calm all the voices that are uh, going back and forth in our brains all the time like bats. Uh, and when I reach that quiet, 
that's when I feel myself connected and I feel that I'm energy and that everybody else is energy. Um, at what moments do you feel the, the highest um, in your lives? Jack, you want to go? Okay. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. That's why I didn't start. Uh, oh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that really transcends me is that I've been fortunate enough to be able to uh, come through and bring information through in, in verbal form for people that, you know, that ask for help. Or if I do a contact with the brothers, it's called, you know, and sometimes I do it up in front of people, you know, and for some, and, and for, for me doing that is when I get so transcended that, uh, I remember a couple of times I did it and I opened up my eyes and went, Oh, I forgot I'm here. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, I, I just got so uplifted, you know, and, uh, it's, yeah, it's generally when, when I've been thinking all about the higher realms and things or, and, and other times have been when, uh, for me, I guess that's just my own way of, or what, uh, triggers my, uh, enlightenment, I guess you could say is, a. Uh, also, when I heard other people do it, you know, years ago, I, that would also transcend me very much. And that was actually one of the things that uh, that happened when when I got really transcended. Is I used to think, oh, I would just love to do it one day. I never thought I could, but I was, I guess, I was a little wrong. But uh, yeah, that's uh, the other. Hang on a second. The other thing that I've gotten really transcended with is when I've. Uh, course studied a long time you know hours mm-hmm. and that and then you know another thing that uh, has happened with me is when i've had some healings uh, of a bigger nature with some of the problems you know so bottom line uh, everything that's transcended me greatly is, is something to do with the, the the brothers in the higher realms uh thank you very much a, yeah there's different levels of stuff, and uh, music is another thing. So some wonderful classical music can really you know, take me somewhere as well. <laughs> that is awesome, and that, that's a topic of another show. So I'll definitely ask for you to be on to talk about that. Great. Thank you. Paula? Yes. So uh, twofold answer. One, uh, I can relate to... Uh, when you're doing your work and you're in your higher mind with your higher self, you feel that um, transcendency, that's the word Unarians describe, a high altered state of consciousness or um, a high, just a higher state of consciousness because you're more in tune and aligned with your higher self and these higher minds. When uh, I was a meditator before Unarius, I would experience that. And then once I became a Unarius student, uh, I, I was... I, I was an artist uh, before I came to the teachings, and then I learned about the higher plane of muse, the higher astral plane of muse, where these master artists live and reside and oversee us when we do artwork. So I found that as a Unarius student, when I would paint or write or draw or do something creative, I would feel that higher consciousness. But the highest state of altered consciousness that I've ever felt was when I was in the presence of Uriel. Mm. Um, there's no comparison. Oh. There's no comparison to how that altered state, how I would get into this higher altered state when I would be in her aura 
and to give you an, an example and tell you one story, um, we were doing a psychodrama filming outdoors a few blocks away from Unarius, uh, filming a scene from Lemuria, and Uriel was in costume, and all the students were in costume, and um, I got so transcended in this altered state of consciousness that I could see her aura. Very few times in my life have I seen an aura, probably a handful of times, and that what I saw that day is like nothing I've ever seen before or since, and I saw this golden light radiate like 20 feet to each wow. side of her, you know, and, and, and it had, it looked like little specks of glitter light, you know, little pricks of light that were floating in her aura. And it was such a peaceful, calm sensation. And I felt like I was floating, um, not walking, but floating, um, and it and it's a beautiful it was a beautiful sensation and i think i've mentioned before on your show the love feeling yes. that you feel that i felt when i was with her it's it's beyond words this love energy and feeling it's to you would if you could imagine the ultimate unconditional love uh that you could imagine like from a grandmother but it's beyond that a hundred times, a thousand times beyond that, because it's not an earthly love. It's an infinite love. It's an infinite, unconditional love, and it's unmatched. I, I haven't. Uh, one time, I went and saw the Dalai Lama uh, at a religious conference. He mm-hmm. he emanated love vibrations and joy, but it it wasn't. You couldn't. It didn't match the frequency that that Uriel. Um, that her aura emanated when you were in it and felt it. Wow. I'm, I'm glad that you experienced that. And uh, um, I get like a chill every time you share it, <laughs> your experience. So, yeah. Um, you know, you couldn't, you know, you couldn't hear me because I had the mute on, but I just went, Oh my gosh, how could I have forgotten? Paul was <laughs> so right about Uriel. Now, we've reached the end of our journey again. Time passes so quickly. Um, Unarius will be in New York City very soon, uh, in this month, actually. I'm, I'm really looking forward. Are you guys going to be there? Yes. I am. Yes. March 22nd through the 24th at the Wyndham New Yorker Hotel. And mm-hmm. uh, there's going to be a workshop on past life therapy on Saturday at 545, and then uh, there's going to be a Tesla workshop on Sunday. I might have, I might have, I'm looking at my scribbling notes, but one of it, I think Saturday is the past life therapy and Sunday is the Tesla presentation. And uh, you can go to the Unarius website, unarius.org, U-N-A-R-I-U-S.org. And a phone number for Unarius is 800 800- Four seven five seven zero six two, and they have streaming classes every Wednesday and Sunday evening um, for just five dollars a class. Wow, there's also tons of stuff on YouTube, and you have several websites uh, as well. Yeah, Jack, do you know that past life therapy workshop? I, I don't know it. Yeah, the time actually a little correction. It is five o'clock on Saturday. Thank you. And I guess the most people know the hotel is the Hotel New Yorker. 
So mm-hmm. I just wanted to get that into. <laughs> okay, thank you. I'm, I will be there. Um, I will be Great. there as much as I possibly can. Uh, there's an event at the Cresco Public Library, and I'm the president of the Friends of the Cresco Public Library. So my morning is uh, going to be spent there. Uh, but as quickly as I can, I'll make it to, to New York because I'd like to spend as much time with you guys as uh, possible. Uh, I enjoyed Fantastic. last time we connected, and I'm looking forward to connecting again. I look forward as well. It's a beautiful experience yes, to be there. We have a couple more minutes. Yes. Is there any last piece of wisdom you'd care to leave people with? No such thing as death. <laughs> I'm here with that. Pride of Olympus and her crew, may your journeys be joyous.